welcome to Interviews with Educators. I'm Austin. And I'm Casey. We wanted to speak with individuals involved in education about education. I mean, we talk to each other a bunch, but we value other perspectives. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. This is Interviews with Educators. I'm here with Austin. Hi. And Dr. Brian Smith. Hi, everybody. Um, Dr. Smith, you are the assistant superintendent of Melville School District, and we invited you here because we wanted to hear your perspective on education, and we'd like to uh, ask you some questions. Oh, it's great. It's my first podcast, so I'm, I'm excited about this. All right. Austin? Sure. Uh, what would you say is your favorite part of the educational process or just education in general? So I, I think that there are a few answers to that one. Um, one <coughs> of them is when I'm in classrooms. I certainly love to see kids engaged, engaged with the subject, engaging with their peers, engaging with their teacher, um, because it really represents a more active learning process. Um, from my old days as a high school principal, I would say my, my two favorite days were the first day of the year. Um, and you know, part of that is, you know, what, why is that my favorite? because of the sense of renewal and the sense of like newness um, and also mm -hmm. probably my favorite experience as a high school principal in all those years was getting the chance to be able to oversee graduation and, and I was the MC for all of those events so there's to me there's nothing better than really celebrating the culmination of, of a kid's 13-year experience uh, through the educational process so um, those are some of my favorite things. Uh, how many how many graduations did you See, as a principal? As a principal, 10. I was an assistant principal for two years before that. So uh, technically 12, um, but, you know, in, in a smaller high school, you know, we had about 500 or so kids. Um, you know, that was a lot on me to be able to run that sure. from beginning to end and then coordinating with band performances and choir performances and, you know, doing all of those things. But um, while I'm certainly not one to really crave the limelight or the attention. I just really loved that particular day um, just because, you know, you get a chance to celebrate all of the, all of the things the kids have done, you know, from cum laude to, you know, hopefully in time here with Melville, you know, the seal by literacy and all of the things that go along with graduation. It's just, it's an exciting time and it's really a great chance to be able to celebrate. The community celebrates, the parents celebrate, and obviously the kids celebrating too. I know it's about the kids, but I think, is it uh, stressful or nerve-wracking to write that speech? Um, the first few of them were. There's no doubt about it. Oh, so, then you can just recycle. Um, <laughs> maybe a little bit, you know, when you say, oh, congratulations, class of 2008. I mean, nine. I mean, ten. That probably doesn't go over very well. But, uh, you know, some of the some of the celebrations, you know, were consistent and other celebrations were certainly more particular to a class that was going through. Um, they all had their strengths. They all had their weaknesses. But at the end of the day, uh, the great thing was they were all high school graduates. Mm -hmm. For some of them, it was going to represent, you know, the, the culmination of any educational experience they were going to do. And for others, it was really just the beginning of their journey. So, right. um, you know, some have gone on since to earn bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and PhDs. Some of them are, you know, medical doctors. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, a couple of them even work here at Oakville High School. That's exciting. Uh, which ones? Kelsey Tunzi and Isaac Freite. Oh, okay. So they are, they okay. are two of uh, two kids that came out from 
where I was at before. And nice. So yeah, it's uh, it's always fun to kind of walk into the building because I'll drop into their classroom just momentarily. Sure. And it kind of takes me back about <laughs> I taught Kelsey. Uh, I was actually her eighth grade math teacher. Oh my goodness. And so yeah, so it's uh, it's fun. It's just it's a different kind of relationship. Right. Right. Of course. Um, now you mentioned when that you like to see engagement when you walk into a classroom. What does that look like to you as far as what the students are doing and what the teacher is doing or does it, I mean, I know there's a variety of ways that you can see that, but how do you, how do you know when you know that kids are engaged? Well, I, you know, I think from an administrator standpoint, one of the things that we always look for, you know, we have the tool like the IPI, the instructional practices inventory, but you know, does it really just pass the eye test and does it pass the ear test and the eye test being like, you know, are you with what you're seeing? Is it authentic? engagement that's going on you know go over and listen to what the conversations are looking like are they having discussions about what they did this past weekend or what they're going to do you know this coming weekend or does it really more look along the lines of is it engagement within the curriculum are they using academic vocabulary and so that that's the difference and you know the role of a teacher which we know has certainly evolved and continues to evolve is more of a facilitator now than it ever has been and they're not always the masters of everything they're not the you know the secret key that unlocks all knowledge they are simply a facilitator because kids can look up so much of the information that it's asked so it's not about what do you know it's more along the lines of why is that the case and how did you get there kind of piggybacking off of that same idea um, with the role of the teacher sort of evolving over time and what students are able to access either in the building or outside of the building. Where do you see education going, uh, either within this district or just in general, and what are you most excited about? Mm. So I think probably not only for this district, but I think for probably most districts. And when I say most, I I probably uh, are talking about a little bit more of progressive districts, because I think that when you look at your rural districts, you know, not only in Missouri, but in the Midwest, and, you know, there aren't as many on the, on the coasts, but, you know, you're going to have a, still a very traditional style of education, the same style of education that Casey Austin that, that you had, mm-hmm. and really the same style of education that I had. I graduated high school in 1994, and to some extent, you know, that was 25 years or so ago, and there are still some things that I, I would say that we see then that we see now um, and is that a good thing I don't know because I'd like to think that from any other practice medical <clears throat> practice that our techniques and strategies have evolved over the last 25 years but the one thing that's unique to our profession is that we're in the people business mm-hmm. and we're working with kids and conversation is still conversation and seeking out answers is still seeking out answers and asking questions is still asking questions getting kids to think um, is I think the consistent now in terms of where do I think that we're going, um, virtual um, education is still going to continue to be there. It's going to continue to rise. More kids are going to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, our district is a prime example of personalized learning movement. We have a partnership with the Institute for Personalized Learning that really helps supports where we're going. We're still new at this whole personalized learning thing between Mosaic and our academies and the MyPath experience that we're giving kids, but we're still new at this. And there are still some great examples, you know, in 
Wisconsin and Indiana and on the coasts of places that really have given great autonomy to students and to give them more of a say in their own learning. Um, that is where I think it will continue to move towards. And as long as that's structured correctly, and it goes back to the role of the teacher being a facilitator and understanding what kids still need to get done, then I think that's really, there's an opportunity for us to become a little bit more progressive with that. But it's hard because you still want to fall back into some of those, this is the way it was when I was in school. And as teachers, it, that's the way we learned it. So that's the way we teach it. And that's a hard thing. You know, it's, it's not that that's a bad thing. It's just a hard thing because if you haven't had the experience, it's hard to do something that you've just never experienced. Well, not only that, but most teachers were good or at least proficient at learning in that, in that way. So yeah. it's difficult to shift something so drastically when that's what worked for you. Sure. Teachers are generally pretty good. They were pretty good students, and they generally were pretty good at playing school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now I think we're working more towards an environment that while those kids that play school well, there's certainly a place for them. It's not just about the behaviors that revolve around playing school well. It's about measuring the academic skills that we need kids to be able to have, and not only those academic skills, but the soft skills, the social skills that are needed, those portrait of graduate characteristics that are really needed that are harder to weave in the more complex the curriculum gets. You're not going to have too many conversations in AP chemistry about um, character, but you can have it about grit. Mm -hmm. Because true. grit true. is a difficult, I mean, AP chemistry is a difficult yeah. subject. Right. You have to have some grit and some perseverance yeah. to be able to, to have yeah, that, absolutely. to do well in a class like that. And, you know, from somebody who maxed out really from the chemistry standpoint at chemistry and didn't want to have anything really more to do with the periodic table because I realized I'm like, I'm probably not going to be going into a career path that was going to revolve around the periodic table. And so while we have kids that are, and I fully support and respect that, you know, it, there was the relevance of the subject matter that sometimes is lost within classes as well. It's important to have curriculum, it's important to have those things, but what kids remember most out of their classes is also the relationships in which they created with their peers and with their teachers. And you are more likely to remember that than certainly what you are, you know, how to calculate a mole or how to be able to balance this particular equation. You were speaking earlier to uh, other districts that were in other states that are giving students a bit more autonomy in terms of selecting where their education is going. Yeah. Um, in what particular way are they giving them more of an autonomous approach to their education? So it, it becomes more than just playlists. Playlists are kind of our first step in that personalized learning. So you're choosing a little bit more about that. Um, where that where it goes you know like if you look at a Hawaii, wisconsin school district there or some of the others in that general area there's a lot bigger push for competency-based learning as well and to have those competencies define what the learning experience is going to be so it's not just do this task do this task i'll give you a choice in what tasks you're going to choose it's here are the competencies in which you're going to be learning about now i need you to be able to structure some things that helps me understand as a teacher that you really do understand this. So that whole aspect of competency-based learning is not just 
what we are going to be moving out and kind of one of those future things we're going to be doing within the school district of, you know, do you have the skills to be able to say that, yeah, I, I can do Spanish one. I can, I can do, I can pass a test. It's so much more than passing a test. Mm -hmm. It's actually having the skills that you can do that with. And so where we're at as a, again, new in our journey to personalized learning is that we're still kind of assigning those tasks. We need you to do this. We need you to do that. Kids get to choose it. They're still not always really heavily involved with actually understanding what the competencies are and then having an opportunity to create projects or portfolios or whatever they're going to be creating to be able to show that I can do these types of things. So those, I think, you know, there are some other districts that I think are doing some really cool and creative things. Uh, at the end of the day, it still always revolves around academic achievement and our kids being successful. And whether that's measuring the A's, B's, C's, mm-hmm. D's, and F's at the high school, or the threes, the twos, and the ones in the standard-based grading K-6 concept, um, we, we are always aspiring for kids to want to be able to do well and always scratching our heads to try to figure out when kids don't do well, what can we do to try to help them? So, okay, you're right. I mean, we, we're always after helping kids, but we we need the right people to do that. Of course. So when most teachers, like we said before, were pretty successful in our standard school model, yeah. what do you tell a new educator? What do you... I know you trust your your principals and your building level teams to hire the the correct people for their needs. Yeah. But if you were, uh, if you were to hire, participate in some of those hiring decisions mm-hmm. uh, at the at the smaller level. Yeah, at the building level. At the building level, what would you, what would you say? This is what I need. This is what I'm looking for oh, yeah. for a new educator. This is what I need you to do as a new educator. Sure. Well, first, the most important thing that I think, you know administrators, principals, directors, whoever's involved in the decision, the most important thing that you do is you try to hire the right people. And by the right people, there are certain characteristics. You know, I I go back, I did most of the hiring. You know, when there was a teacher to be hired, you know, I and a committee of people would get Mm -hmm. together and we would interview all of our folks and we would look for certain things. So for somebody that's new, that's been hired, what are the skills? Well, you want them to be an effective communicator. And, and that means that it's not just, you know, I can pick up a phone or I can hammer out an email or I can send a text. It's, you know, the ability in which to be able to go out and be able to engage with kids and to be able to engage with parents um, and to be open to criticism and to be open to learning new ways of doing things. One of the things that I think as a new educator that's so difficult is that we're kind of in this um, time where we are, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of change. And I don't just mean in Melville. Mm-hmm. I mean, just as a whole in education, there's a big push to kind of throw away the old and embrace everything new and just to try new things and try new things and try new things. And while trying things is really good and, and a very important part of the learning process, it's also important to really have a, to develop a foundation of what you know, historically, 
metacognitively have been best practices. You know, how, what is the best way to teach certain things? You know, it's, it's not just about lecture or it's not just about, you know, two-sided notes. It's, you know, there, it's so much more than that. Um, being a new educator is difficult and kind of feeling your way, especially in the first couple of years is really important. They, they require a lot of support from their peers. They require a lot of support from their mentor and they require a lot of support from their building principal. There is a book that I, uh, that's a really good one to worth checking out. Um, it was written by the Harvard department, well, Harvard, um, school uh, of education um and the title is escaping me right now (laughs) um i can see it red cover white letters um i i would have to get back with you on that particular but there it's because it talks specifically about teachers within their you know we lose 50 percent of the teachers within the first five years Mm -hmm. of that because of the lack of support that they feel that the that the educational community provides them, and you know some of it's they get stressed out by parent communication, they get stressed out by student behavior, but most importantly, they get stressed out and decide they don't want to do it anymore because of the role of an administrator not being able to properly support them, and so one of the things that I always try to do with new educators you know, was not only do we set them up with mentor systems and everything else, but at the very beginning of the year before we ever had the chance to have the first day of school, we would always drive our community. And with where I was at previously, it was 125 square miles. You know, it was from where our campus was at, you could go 45 minutes north and you could go 20 minutes south and you could see, you know, a river and you could see shanties and you could drive up to where Lou Brock was living. And so in everything in between, Mm-hmm. So to get an understanding of the community was also a really important part. And then just continue to have touch points. Like, you know, having opportunities that you're getting together with them and just giving them a chance to be able to debrief. And whether that's sometimes with them or whether that's carving out time to be able to support them and letting them figure out some things together. Those, I think, are really important things to be able to do for teachers. Um, because without that support, it's really you, you really take a chance of losing a lot of people. Right. And certainly we know that climate and culture of a building are very, very important things. When you have a great climate and you have a great culture, you're more likely to have people who want to stay, who want to be part of the team. And when you don't have a very good climate and you don't have a very good culture, it makes people not really love being in a building. Right. And so, you know, it starts with the principal of the building, but it's everybody's responsibility to be a part of that team and to try to do what's best for kids. I agree, and I think I think it's important also to realize what new teachers are going through. They've just gotten out of school. They're super excited. They're getting inundated with information. They're learning a new building. They're learning a new staff. They're yeah. getting all the protocols and all the paperwork and everything like that. So if you hit them with everything right at the beginning. It's overwhelming. Yeah. Completely overwhelming. So regardless of how many times you're like, hey, I'm here for you whenever you need, they yeah. don't even know what to ask. No. Right? Oh, they They're certainly don't. Well, and you know, it, it's... I can, it's easy to hide behind the, the term, I'm here to support you. Right. Well, that's great. But when it push comes to shove, what does that really mean? Right. It, me, it better mean that I'm physically present, I'm asking questions, I'm checking in on your well-being, 
because we know, especially now in this age of social emotional learning, not only for kids, but for teachers, it's really important to be able to check on the mental health of all of our staff, our certified staff, our non-certified staff, just to check in to make sure that people are okay. Um, and we don't do that probably enough with our new teachers, and we don't always provide that level of support that we need to. And when I say that, I mean like getting an opportunity mm -hmm. to meet with some more veteran teachers who we consider to be like really having their stuff together. Um, because, you know, who have a good work-life balance, who do a great job in the classroom, and who also do a great job of whatever their home environment looks like. Right. You know, that's, we. there's two parts of being a teacher. There's the professional part and there's the personal part. And sometimes people have a hard time separating the two of those. You can throw yourself into professional completely, or you can just completely step back and say, I'm going to take care of myself, but I'm not, then I don't always do great stuff in the classroom. And, you know, our kids need people that do great stuff in the classroom. We also need those folks to be healthy, mm -hmm. too. You know, there it's a balance, and it's not one that, you know, people always walk very well. Agreed. It's easy to find teachers, new teachers, even teachers who've been around for a while, or administrators who, like you said, kind of pour themselves completely into their job and almost get swallowed whole by it. What would you tell someone in order to, um, or like what advice might you offer someone in order to help them find a way to not find themselves in that position where burnout could be an issue or what could people be doing to take care of themselves or what do you do to take care of yourself to yeah. keep yourself balanced? Well, I'm probably not the best example of somebody <laughs> who, um, I'll, 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 I'll provide a story here on this one. Uh, you know, so I, I have a family of wife and three kids and a dog. And you got to throw the dog in. Um, so, you know, when you're a dad, you know, or, a, you know, or mom, you know, you're, when you have kids, you start to really, you know, your role as a person has expanded because you have all these additional responsibilities. So with the three kids that I have, you know, they certainly keep me busy and keep me running around all over the place. Um, and so, you know, taking care of oneself you know, can be put on the back burner. There's no doubt about that. Um, I know the people who are probably, I would consider to be the, the most balanced, find the time somehow, some way to do things like to work out or to go to a gym or to be engaged in some level of physical exercise, even if it's just walking. Um, those same people then also figure out ways in which to find ways to be able to keep up professionally in terms of reading, in terms of, you know, things that to try to help you be better at what you do. Mm -hmm. um, and they also are, they find ways to be able to balance their personal responsibilities. Um, so there are times I think me personally, where I'm better at my professional responsibilities. There are times where I'm probably better at my personal responsibilities. And I don't know if I've ever really found quite the sweet spot <laughs> to where I feel like I'm doing all of them well. Killing it everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I can tell you as like a former high school principal, you know, I, I could look at the two previous people who had done the job prior to me taking that position on. The two previous people were both divorced. And, you know, that wasn't an, a road that I wanted to go down. You know, I'm like, and so... You know, the thing that ultimately led to me making the decision to transition away from that building level role was the fact that I had two kids 
We were just had a third child. Um, Luke is now three. He has Down syndrome, and so that brings along some specific challenges um, as a parent and obviously as the child. Um, and so it was a matter of you know finding myself at school raising 500, 550 other people's children and spending, you know, the first part of the job was from, in Casey, you know this, was from basically seven to three. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of the job was from three to nine, 10, mm-hmm. when stance is 11. Mm-hmm. And so, and some weekends, you know, I mean, depending on what was going on. And so it, that, that takes a toll. And I did that for 12 years. And it got to the point in time where I just had to make some decisions. And ultimately, you know, because I didn't want to go down that divorced route, I wanted to make sure that I could be a good dad and I could be a good husband and I could be a good educator. So I needed to find something that really fit what I felt were my strengths. And, you know, for me, that was probably more along the lines of school improvement and evaluation and being able to to lead groups of adults because I felt like I did that, I think, pretty well. Um, as you always, you would have certain people who would say, well, you weren't good at this. You weren't good at that. Yeah, that's fine. Everybody's, everybody's good at something. Everybody's, everybody's <laughs> something, whatever, right. whatever. Um, but I felt there were certain things I was good at. And when given the opportunity, you know, I interviewed in this district and was fortunate enough to be, you know, uh, an executive director of planning and development, did that for a year and would have been completely content and happy doing that job for a while. Um, just had an opportunity that came up, you know, for me personally and, Took advantage of. Right. Hmm. It's a good answer. Yeah, it's a really good answer. Encompassed a lot of what I was going to be asking anyway without me having to ask it at all. Um, I think additional questions that might arise in terms of like self-care and things of that nature, um, making sure that you have time, like you said, for physical activity or even just kind of like finding a hobby that you're interested in that isn't completely involved in school. And you said that you might not be the best at it, but like, what do you do to kind of balance things out? Well, um, you know, I I think being busy with kids, you know, um, is, can certainly can become someone's hobby. Um, It can also become someone's obsession, which is something that people need to balance because I'm certainly not obsessed with (laughs) the things in which my kids do. Um, You know, I have a 10 year old that plays ice hockey and is competitive and likes to do plenty of other sports. Um, How'd that father-son game go? I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no broken bones. I'm still upright and walking. So yeah, um, it's not hard to, to, I mean, it's, I should say, it's hard to pull something when you skate three miles an hour. Sure. So, you know, I mean, that wasn't as <laughs> sore as what I thought it was going to be because my, uh, my below basic skills of ice skating came in real handy at a particular one. The kids said they dominated us. I, I I think they're confused, but that's okay. Um, sorry, Austin. I, no, you're um, totally fine. So what? Do, oh, what do I do? What do I do? Um, you know, there are other things that that I do that that I enjoy. I do enjoy being outside. I do enjoy spending time with family. Um, certainly, kids keep me busy. Um, when I wasn't quite so busy with kids, I was certainly much more active and um, grew up playing basketball and running track. I uh, missed out on my NBA career, all five foot eight of me. Um, I was really, it was me and LeBron. He was like, um, so, you know, I, I still enjoy playing and doing lots of stuff and getting, trying to find new opportunities. My middle child um, is a Lego master. He 
um, just that he's the super creative STEM engineering kind of kid. Um, and you know, I'm learning, you know, with Luke, our three-year-old, um, that presents a whole set of challenges. So mm -hmm. let me talk about becoming a better person, trying to and becoming a better parent with a little bit more patience. I'm still not great at that piece, but, um, you know, I think it's always easy to say, well, I do yoga or I do mountain biking or I do that. Yeah. I mean, th those are all wonderful things, but I think people, if you, there's an issue with burnout at all with a new person, with a new employee, somebody new to, to teaching, just finding things that allow you to check out. I don't care if it's Game of Thrones. You know, it, it, finding something that allows you to check out for a little while before you can come back and, and mm -hmm. you know, because that mental break is extremely important. It's also extremely important for kids. You know, you think about what a high school kid goes through or a middle school kid, and that is that they sit for six and a half hours a day, mostly doing academic work. And they do that for 174 days a year. And that we sometimes forget because we plan. I've got two sections or three sections or six sections or however many preps that somebody has. Yeah. We sometimes forget. you got to put yourself in that kid's seat for just a minute. And some kids bring other things to the table that their attention's smoked after 20 minutes. And then we were like, hey, pay attention. Casey, pay attention. So it's, I was going to say right. Johnny, but I wanted to put you on. That's the right, yeah. So it's like, hey, you got to pay attention. It's like, uh, okay. You know, I mean, it's it's hard, so you you, know, you just kind of have to remember to keep the pulse on your classroom as well and to figure out, you know, making sure that kids are doing well and are doing what you need them to be able to do. It's not that easy, and I don't want to oversimplify this. Being a teacher is one of the most difficult jobs that's out there. I mean, it's not the fact that it leads to everything, leads to everything else. It's a difficult job. Right. It's difficult when it's done well, and maybe it's not so difficult if it's not done so well. If people are trying, it becomes difficult. I think you hit a really important aspect of being a teacher is that empathy piece and and it's being huge. able to put yourself in the shoes of the students in your classroom. And that's a lot of shoes to wear. It is. Um, I, I was a math teacher, um, and I did not do well at math. You know, I wasn't a, I wasn't a math guy. I wasn't one of the best math students, but it provided me a great opportunity to show a lot of empathy mm -hmm. not sympathy but empathy for how kids were doing and to come at it from a way that it would maybe make it a little bit more relevant and a little bit easier to be able to understand because i was that kid too who sat in that classroom who did not do well in math for a lot of times it was not something that came easy to me and you know many times we go into subjects that we find are more engaging or just a little bit easier for us um i was an english teacher reading teacher and a math teacher, kind of an interesting combination. This is really interesting yeah. combination. Yeah, anywhere between fifth grade and, um, well, yeah, fifth grade, I student taught elementary. thought I wanted to be an elementary teacher. That was kind of where I got my start. Um, ended up being a middle school math teacher who walked into an interview thinking it was going to be for the English position. And the principal <laughs> came out and said, I'm sorry, we just hired the English position. How do you feel about math? And so I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. And so interviewed for it, got the job. It was one of the best experiences I ever had. That and being, you know, being a football coach, um, I coached football for three years. I never played down football in my life. And, and the principal, the high school principal at the time, who was a super kind gentleman, uh, came up to me. Long, a short story here is he, had, he only had one arm. He had, he had, it was blown off. He was a minor league professional pitcher who had his other half of his arm blown off with a firework. Oh, so goodness. he came up to me. He said, son, because he called everybody son. Son, you, you want to coach some football? And he literally grabbed me with one arm and gave me the nub on the other one on the top of my head. 
which was really disturbing. But I said, uh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll come. And I had a great, I, I, it was taking advantage of opportunities. And that's kind of how some of my career is went. True story. The other true stories I could tell, maybe they aren't, aren't always safe for podcasts. But, you know. I, think, I think that hits on, we had a question about the secret to success in education, right? right. I think that those advantages and just taking advantage of those opportunities is really where and how you are where you are now. It is. And I think everybody's story may lead to, you know, what what's the secret to success. For me, it was taking advantage of opportunities mm-hmm. that I was provided. Um, I was a principal at age 30 and at a, at a high school level. And so I wouldn't have probably been able to do that in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have certainly been coaching football when I never played a down of football in my life. And the only thing I would have ever played would have been like Madden, you know? Right. So it's like those... I took advantage of some opportunities. I was willing to learn. Um, and as long as I think if you're willing to do those two things, jump in and be willing to learn, I think that people can have success in things, even if they don't always have the experience with it. We're doing that as a district right now, and it's a challenge for a lot of people. We're trying to jump in and do some new stuff. And it can be challenging for people because change is not always a real popular thing. Um, but sometimes change is really important mm-hmm. in order to get better. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's the balance. You know, sometimes people want to get better. Sometimes the status quo is good enough. And you have a lot of people who work in our organization. And so, you know, trying to get people who want to change, who or to promote change for people who don't want to change can be kind of a difficult thing. Right. We touched on a little bit of like your transition between roles within the the world of education go all the way back to the beginning what made you decide that education is where you were going to be mm-hmm. what was the draw what was the defining moment yep that really set you down that path yeah so you know a lot of people will tell you well i had an aunt or an uncle or a mom or a dad in education i didn't have any of that uh, my dad was a uh, a worker for the railroad he was a foreman, so he changed rails, he changed ties, he changed, you know, tires on railroad tracks prior to hydraulic stuff. My mom stayed at home. And so my teachers were really the reason why I wanted to pursue teaching. I can, you know, I can tell you some great teachers I had. Mrs. Wilson, Miss Meyer, um, one, probably one of my all-time favorite teachers that I had was my orchestra director in high school. His name was Clyde Bassett. Um, he unfortunately, like beginning of the two thousands had passed away from a heart attack just, you know, suddenly. Um, but just, he was a person that it went back to relationships and somebody that invested in you and somebody that trusted you and somebody that really wanted you to do well. Um, I gravitated towards people who I felt really wanted me to do well. And so for me, that kind of changed my approach of, I wanted to be able to be that person who wanted to be there for other kids and wanting them to feel like they did well. Um, you know, I didn't always think about education as a, as a initial career choice. I thought, oh, sports medicine. But, you know, uh, the sight of blood is not my most favorite thing. <laughs> so my days in the surgeon did so. not last very long. Um, but, I, you know, I mean, I have no regrets about the, about the career choice and Everything that I did, I, I think that based on the, t- the decisions that I made, that's the reason why I'm sitting here today with you guys getting to be able to do a, a podcast. Um, 
which is pretty cool, by the way. I gotta say, like this, <laughs> this is a lot. This is a lot of fun. I wasn't sure what to expect. But, like this is this is pretty cool. Uh, what do you play? You're in the orchestra. Yeah. So I I started violin when I was in fourth grade. I still play. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did I not know that? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. There's still things that you don't know. About uh, well, you know, the, 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 you know. What What do you like to play? Are you Are you uh, a fiddle guy or? Oh my so gosh, been, our microphone's not even on. Just joking. Um, <laughs> I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I grew up classical. Okay. Um, and went to college. Went to Truman on a music scholarship. Really? So yeah, I was in the president's string quartet there, which gave me obviously money towards tuition and such. Um, so most of the work in which I've done is classical, but then um, I was friends with some folks at Truman who then started to get me into more like Irish jig kinds of, of fiddle, you know, things. So I do a little bit of that. Um, you know, not as, not as much now, but you know, my 10 year old has, has now played the violin now for the last well year and a half. And so that's been kind of a interesting experience to watch him play just thinking back on like it that was me 30 years ago mm-hmm. but that that was me um but yeah i mean I've, I've played in it for me like that's another good outlet i don't get enough chances to be able to play i used to play all the time you know i mean i was i really thought i wanted to be a conductor and unfortunately just those orchestra gigs just there are few and few far between right? <laughs> so i thought and i didn't want to be a professional musician because the amount of work that just goes into mm-hmm. that i just didn't have that drive to want to do that still lean back on my MBA playing career. I wanted to be like LeBron, <laughs> but, uh, or I guess at that point in time would have been like Larry Bird. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the skill and the height thing really just didn't work out well for me. Uh, you know, that happens. Yeah. That's now I'm looking for my NHL career. I there you started. Go. There you go. Now that, my father said, now, now that you've done this, put the skates on. Yeah. You're ready. I, right. I mean, you know, me, Pat Maroon would be synonymous with South County. Before. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's really interesting. I, um, I love music. I was uh, I wanted to be a music teacher when I first went to college, um, and then circumstances shifted all over the place. And it happens. And, uh, yeah. The, Do you still play? I still play. Um, I wanted to be a choir director, really. Okay. Um, I was more of a vocalist in high school, but I I I dabble in instruments. I mean, I have an accordion. I haven't I haven't broken that thing out in a while, but I think the staff here would love to see a polka day. Fair enough. I will. I will. Mm-hmm. Accompaniment. Yeah. Yeah. Violin yeah. polka duo. I'm, <laughs> Violin, oh, I'm sure. Let's do a Google search on that one. Let's see what kind of sheet music. Hey, if there's nothing if there's nothing out yet, hey, we can we can I make w- it happen. I will be your side man. The accordion will steal the show. Let's just be clear about that. I don't know. A gypsy thing. Be kind of fun. Oh, it could be. Yeah, yeah, I, I like see, that. I can see that. Oh goodness. I, I, <laughs> I really don't think that should happen. <laughs> um I don't even know what to, uh, <laughs> where we were going with that. Um, something I did want to know when uh, there's a lot of things going on in our district. There's the academies going on. Um, there's some new courses being offered. You talked about the My Path program. Mm-hmm. You talked about the personalized learning stuff that we're getting into. What are the things that you're most excited about that are that are happening um, that you're able to talk about? Because I'm oh, sure, sure there's some that are in the works that we don't know about yet. Yeah, there, um, there's always things in the works, um, you know, that we're probably not ready to roll out yet because we're still working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I think you know, through where are we going now? And for me, like year one, there was part of this just learning the job. 
and I'm still learning the job. Mm -hmm. I don't want to come across as like, oh, I figured it out. I haven't. There's still a ton for me, but um, from a professional development and curriculum standpoint, you know, when you look at our elementaries, um, and you can say, okay, well, you know, our teachers at our elementaries, our core teachers who teach math, are are using iReady. So sometimes it's the implementation of programs. Um, you look at our middle schools and you say, okay, well, we've got the academy. I don't look at that as a program so much as it is a different instructional approach to be able to teach kids. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know what the academy is, oh, could sure, you yes. give us like an elevator pitch on what the academy yeah. is? So our currently we are um, we're through one semester of our of our academy concept in the sixth grade level, and it really has more of a focus on both personalized learning as well as project-based learning. And so it provides kids the opportunity to have some say in what they are doing. It's a little bit deeper dive. Uh, it's more of a blended interdisciplinary approach. Um, so many times it's math and science or English and social studies that are taught in tandem. Uh, it doesn't have to be those combinations. Sometimes we have teachers who have different levels of certification. Um, but that approach at the middle school level um, lasts generally about three hours a day. Um, you know, kids can choose to go into one class or both classes. And when I say class, like, you know, math and science, let's say back-to-back -back or English and social studies in a back-to-back -back fashion. So I guess that would be two, yeah, two, not three, um, for three hours, up to three hours a day. And so uh, it's really extending the mosaic approach that we have had. But really, you know, we're learning there that, you know, we took kind of the first iteration of personalized learning, and that's what helped us get Mosaic off the ground. Well, in learning, you, once you learn more, you start asking more questions. Mm -hmm. And how do you get better at that? And so now we're kind of starting to toy around with the second version of, you know, what does that look like at Mosaic? And what does that look like as we expand our academies into the seventh grade? And in time, as we expand those academies into the eighth grade. And at the same time, we're coming from the high school setting, and we've started with just 11th and 12th, and next year will be 10th, 11th, and 12th, and the year after that will be 9th through 12th to give kids an opportunity to look at various MyPath opportunities. So for those that don't necessarily know that, that's more of a semi-independent kind of study with a mentor that kind of helps you along the way. Um, we're going to be also expanding in the MyPath uh, a pathway to teaching. You know, we've seen enough kids do the for the CAPS program, mm -hmm. we'll talk about that in a second. But we've seen enough kids who've really expressed an interest in career in teaching uh, through the MyPath program that we've said, well, we need to do that as part of that Center for Advanced Professional Studies, our CAPS program. And so starting next year, we'll have a teaching component as well that we'll be partnering with the Afton School District to be able to do together. That's excellent. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, so I mean, those are some of the, the, new, th some of the new things, but you know, there's more, I mean, you know, there's there's a piece that, um, you know, from there's portrait of a graduate mm -hmm. and really trying to high school teachers, I think, understand that probably better than most, because I think more people see it as a high school thing. And it's not. It's a pre-K through 12 thing. Mm -hmm. And so that the continued development of that and trying to make that more relevant in the things that we do in the elementary classrooms and the middle school classrooms in high school classrooms, obviously our ongoing work with social emotional learning uh, for kids and really getting an understanding of, you know, how to have kids that are 
better emotionally regulated to be able to tackle learning. We know learning just in itself is hard, and we know at the youngest of levels, when you're not emotionally regulated, uh, it's hard to be able to learn. We learn coping skills when, we're, when we get older, and sometimes those coping skills are just simple disengagement. Right. I don't want to. You see that more often than high school than anywhere else. Um, at least that was my own personal experience. So working through ways to try to um, create environments that really more promote learning um, while also still focusing going back to the root of our conversation, and that's that developing relationships piece. Right. You know, and teachers, they just need to know that, you know, kids are going to look at them, they're going to trust them. You know, sometimes it takes more time and effort to build trust with some kids. The cha most challenging ones are also the most rewarding ones. Mm -hmm. Doesn't take nearly as much time to break that trust either. No, it doesn't. It only takes once. Right. You know, I think back to a kid that I had. Her name was Michelle. Uh, I invested a lot of time in her to get her to graduation. And when she graduated, she was 20 years, 364 days old. On the night, on the night that she graduated at 12 a.m., we were at the after party that was there. Uh, we did one district-wide for the, those seniors. That's where she turned 21. And instead, uh, and she was, she came from a difficult background. Uh, and instead of doing what she probably could have done on her 21st mm -hmm. birthday, she was with the rest of her class, which was surprising to me because I did not expect to see that particular. That's neat. Yeah. So, but that took a lot of time and a lot of investment there. Uh, and I tried very, very rarely to ever have to do a withdrawal from that. A lot of credits, a lot of deposits right. that went into that. Sometimes you have to take that withdrawal as a teacher, you know, to say, look, I got to call you out on this because that's not right. But, you know, those trusting relationships go further than what most people will will give credit for. Right. And you mentioned portrait of a graduate being pre-K through 12. And, yeah. and uh, I think the interesting thing about that or what, what resonates with me with that as with my history as an English teacher, it's so cyclical. Like you just have an iteration of each aspect of that. You can be a communicator at, in third grade, but that looks different as a good communicator in third grade. It looks different from a good communicator in sixth grade. Oh, it sure it does. looks different from a good communicator in 12th grade. And even if you're a bad communicator in sixth grade, you can be a good communicator in 12th grade and your creativity expands and you're in all of those aspects of the portrait of a graduate need reworked and the iterations come and go and through the project-based learning and that personalized learning i think that's really important uh opportunity for our students to provide our students it is and this is not just something I you know what like, i'm trying to I, say I, I do know what <laughs> this is and that's not just something that it's a melville thing right and for those that you know don't know like there's a nationwide push for these core areas that we want kids to leave once they've graduated that we want kids to be able to have. Mm -hmm. Now, one could argue, well, that's always been the case, but we've never really focused on it. You know, it's always been more about the high school level. Like, you need to have a solid transcript. You need to do these activities. You need to have this GPA. You need to have this AT, ACT score. Those were always the key indicators, and those are important. I'm not saying that they're not, but we also know that being workforce ready now, you know, once kids graduate, also requires a set of soft skills that many times... Employers tell us that kids just simply don't have. Show up to work. Didn't realize that was such a big thing. It right. is. You know, be be vocal. Be able to look somebody in the eye, shake their hand, and be able to have a conversation 
or to have a conversation starter is much more difficult mm-hmm. for some kids. And I won't blame it on anything technologically related because I know some people would want to do that. I don't think it's that. I just think that we live in a time where we we are so we do so many things. We have so many areas of focus. We're trying to do this all the all the perfect stuff, but we don't. We're not very deliberate sometimes about just working on communication. Mm-hmm. We're not always deliberate about you know grit or perseverance or being a global and ethical citizen. You know, we don't always have teachers who take time or homes that take time to really try to say, these are important pieces that we need you to be able to learn. Mm -hmm. Schools have taken on so much more responsibility in all things related to a kid that sometimes, like, when we were growing up, I don't know if we would have said that schools were the primary response. They had the primary responsibility for that. We would have said, well, the home is responsible for some things. But as we continue to grow and we continue to evolve, Schools are being put in that particular position. And whether people like it, whether we don't, you have to embrace it because that's just the reality. So you might as well try to be able to do the best job you can do. Right. Did you have any educational resources that you would suggest that people look into in in terms of what we were just discussing? So if you haven't just gone through an education course or your, your district might not be providing you with PD that you think would speak to those particular items, did you have things in mind that people could access on their own? I do. I mean, um, besides the podcast interviews with educators. Right. Be- beyond this one. This should be your <laughs> number one. <laughs> number one. Yes, right. number one. But, you know, 1A, um, I would say certainly connecting with a professional organization in the content area in which someone is involved in. So whether that's like the Missouri Association for Elementary Principals, Middle School Principals, MASSP, Secondary School Principals. I mean, well, these are principals, but... Um, you know, for organizations like National Council of Teachers of Math, um, you know, there's one for virtually every content area that's out there. Um, ASCD uh, is certainly a great one for the curriculum and development types of pieces. Um, Twitter, creating a PLN on Twitter, doing Twitter chats and things like that. Those are all good things. And, you know, I mean, I'm not always good about doing all of those things. I recognize that too. Um, but, you know, I, I thought about that one a little bit and I figured coming into this, I wanted to, there were a couple of books that I think are pretty short reads uh, that aren't super metacognitive and doing like heavy analysis mm-hmm. and data. Cause sometimes when people read that, they just, they glaze over it and like, nope, too, too complex. Right. So, you know, a few that I grabbed because I thought these would be very relevant to people in, in the field. Uh, Mindfulness in the Classroom by Thomas Armstrong. Um, all Learning is Social and Emotional by Fry, Fisher, and Smith. And then, and, you know, one of them that I'm, I'm this is this is some of these are on my reading list and some of them I've already worked through, but uh, Using Design Thinking to Bring Purpose and Passion to the Classroom, Designed to Learn by Lindsay Portnoy. Um, art, I think, to kind of get people, if you don't know about something, there's a book out there on it, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're not an avid reader, Sometimes there's a podcast out there about it. Um, you know, so just being able to find and connect with others who do what you do to me is certainly, I think, a really important piece of being informed and up to date with regards to trends that are going on in the field in which people work in. I think that is important. And that connection also helps that additional support because 
though we spoke about it earlier and principles getting into, um, this is going to sound like some sort of defense or something because I know all our time is, is precious and we never get it back and there's only a finite amount of it. There's only so much of it in a day and some of it gets taken from us. Um, and there's not always, not always the moments to support those teachers, but when you cast a wider net, when you, when you have that broader base for support, that PLN on Twitter that you can turn to that, um, those additional colleagues, the mentors, the, the, um, professional organizations, anything like that, that does help to, to provide that support. And I think that I would agree with you that that's, you always have to important. have somebody right. that, that does what you do or has done what you've done. Um, because if you can pick up the phone and have a conversation with them, um, you know, I have, I have a friend that is the assistant superintendent in Hancock place just right next door. Um, I've known him for the last 20 years and I worked for him. I've worked with him. Uh, and now we work in neighboring districts, but he is certainly somebody that I will talk to from time to time as well. And just to check in and he does the same thing with me. It's like, you know, so when you do positions, like when you are, um, especially if you get into leadership, once you start getting into an assistant principal or principal, the number of people that you have at your beck and call to be able to say, oh, I need some help with this. And then, you know, who else would understand what I do goes way down real quick. Mm -hmm. And if you are in a building that you are the only person that's there, you have to have somebody else to be able to rely on. And, and if you don't, create those relationships, friendships, to be able to have somebody else to be able to ask questions of, it makes for a very lonely experience. And if you're not getting any support as a leader, it's just as easy to walk away from a job like that and to go do something else, as easy as it is for a teacher to say, I didn't feel support from my teachers, from my fellow peers, from my administrators. And, you know, um, and that's what makes people, I think, again, you know, we, we have a, we have a market where we have a good economy and we we have struggles finding subs but for those that want to get into the educational realm you know we still end up losing about 50 percent of the people after five years mm -hmm. so i'm still the name of that book still hasn't come to me kicking myself on did that. you find it i looked up a couple different books that were from the publishing house that you mentioned and yeah. that had red covers but I couldn't, find, <laughs> I couldn't find one specific to what you were discussing. Was it the Communist Manifesto? It was not, no. Um, I was. I looked up Harvard School of Education, red cover, and I found a whole bunch of them. Um, but, yeah, I was unable to find the one that I think you were looking for. Yeah. I... Uh, it'll come to me. Uh, yeah, it will. Okay, we can always add yeah, it you can the, always, you always drop it. We'll just it. put it in the show notes. Yeah, the show notes. Um... Dr. Smith, I wanted to ask if you had somebody that you look up to, um, not necessarily a hero, maybe in or out of education, Yeah. who who are some people or what are some characteristics of people that you admire and that you aim yeah. to emulate? Sure. Um, Besides LeBron James, you've mentioned him a couple of times. Yeah, you know, I figured it, you know, if it can get me signed Lakers jersey, <laughs> whatever, that'd be great. Um you know, I, I think that, like, you use the word hero, and a hero I always have a difficult time with. And the only reason why I say that is because when you hear the word hero, you kind of think superhero, mm -hmm. or people who have done these just dramatic, tremendous things. And I think, wow, I'm not sure that I 
surrounded myself with people who I would define as heroes, but it doesn't have to be that, that big, dramatic, significant thing. Um, I, I think that characteristics, you know, sincerity and humbleness um, are things that I try to emulate. I've learned those from my parents. Um, you know, I don't think that it's uh, too much to say that we, we all learn a lot from those that raised us, whoever they may be. And um, to try to many times to try to be like that. And sometimes we learn lessons too. Mm -hmm. It's like we don't want to be, we've learned things that we, that we don't want to be like somebody else. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I guess there would be a lot of people I guess I could probably throw out there. Um, you know, I mean, you think about the, the teachings of Jesus, and I don't want to get all completely religious, but, you know, certainly faith for me is a very strong and important thing. And so, you know, those that's a piece, certainly strong piece of who I am. Um, you know, the, that's my background really was really truly um, influenced by a number of good and sincere and kind and humble people. And so those people kind of left a mark on me. And so that's my way, I guess, of thinking, you know, how do I not pay it forward so much as how do I, how do I act and how do I approach things? So as to be somebody that's kind and sincere and humble and like, you know, not arrogant, I, I'm not proud, you know, we all have a pride streak, but I'd really try not to be that kind of person. I like that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, we only have a couple of minutes before our, the platform that we use kicks us off. Yes. So, uh, I noticed the numbers are now red. Yeah. I've um, never seen that before. I haven't either. Bum, bum, bum. This, uh, this conversation has been really interesting. So thank I'm, you. Yeah. Um, thank you for inviting me. I've, I've had a blast with it. If, uh, if people want to reach out to you, is there a place that you would recommend that to happen or, um, sure. Um, I mean, one way, you know, this is not, this is the shameless plug, I guess, um, because Twitter is a good area to be able to kind of create your own personal network of folks. But, um, you know, to, for more information on kind of the latest and greatest of Melville offerings and mixing in a little bit of side of, a, you know, of a hockey player, a ninja, and a kid that's <laughs> going to move mountains, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Brian underscore Smith. Um, otherwise, you know, if people have any, you know, specific questions about curriculum, instruction, teaching, professional development, anything along those lines, they can certainly reach out to me via email at smithb at msdr9.org. All right. There you go. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank, thank you. you thank you. It was, it was awesome, to be, obviously, to hang out with both of you and to, and to do this. We'll have to do it again sometime. I, I think that. I will. There you go. Yep. We'll, we'll have it. a jam <laughs> session we'll at the it. end of it. An accordion and, yep. and fiddle. Hey, he said gypsy, so he's got the... I can bring some castle well, You think I won't bring him? I'll find him. <laughs> I'm sure I have my dulcimer somewhere. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, you just gave your audience something to really look Yeah, we could, we could run around that. This is when unsubscribe. Everybody's oh, just no. punching that. Please don't make us listen to it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you could use the Twitter. I am at C. Oliarnik. That is at C-O-L-E-A-R-N-I-C-K. And I'm at Austin W. Ferguson. That's A-U-S-T-I-N-W-F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N. Bye. Bye.